Hi, and welcome to the Red Tunic Podcast, a podcast where I look to rediscover what makes gaming fun and enjoyable by having positive conversations with those related to the industry. My name is Link, and today I'm joined by Thomas Altenberger, game director at Flying Oak Game, Flying Oak Games, makers of Scourgebringer and Neurovoyer. How are you doing, Thomas? I'm doing pretty well, and you? I'm doing all right. Thank you for asking. And, you know, thank you so much for making the time to talk with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Now, Thomas, for those that might not know who you are, would you mind maybe telling, you know, me and my listeners and whoever else a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So, uh, like you said, I am game director at Playing Up Games. And we are a small company based in France. We are mostly making 2D action pixel art indie game. And when it comes to me specifically, I am a man of many hats because um doing a lot of stuff within our structure and uh I have a background that is more a bit more technical, but nowadays I'm like mostly directing projects and if I should define me more, it's I'm more like a, a game feel kind of person. So I'm I'm the person who put screen shakes everywhere and so on, mostly. <laughs> And you know, I I did see you you made a tweet about that that if they if uh, if your game shook too much that it was your fault and I I don't believe you said you're sorry. Um, I believe it was more of a just deal with it kind of statement. Is that correct? Yeah, it's it's more like it's it's more like a kind of a philosophy of game design. It's more like um, we are not the kind of company who is trying to make uh, complex systems and so on or making very fine-tuned mechanics. Uh, we are more people who make very good action games or at least trying to. And game feel and the example of, of screen shake is just one of many because it is one kind of stuff that you can use to add game feel to something. And uh, so it's kind of a game design trope to add screen shake to something. And yeah, you know that you're you're right. It is kind of a trope, but at the same time, on the topic of game feel, I think um, when done properly, uh, it can you know it can really it can really heighten it up. It adds the impact to uh, like what you're doing. And I I I don't remember where it was. It might have been a GDC conversation or um, a presentation or whatever they are, um, or somewhere else. It's been many many years since I saw this, but. One of the um one of their like core tenets for how to add personality within the uh, within the context or constraints of game feel was to have um screen shake and have that screen shake being you know obviously varied depending on the task that you are making mm -hmm. you know if you have a a short jump a very minimal very minor kind of you know rumble but if you fall from you know a few stories up you know give give that screen a good shake. Uh, because at that point, like you are, um, as you are being uh, immersed in it, even though it's not like an immersive game, so to say, uh, but as you're being like immersed in it, you know, the, the screen's reacting or the game's reacting in the way that you would expect it to, instead of it just being a, you know, a flat non-shaking thing when, you know, someone falls from a few stories up or punches through a wall or fires a big, you know, a big honking gun or what have you, right? Yeah, sure. 
And um, I, I believe I know exactly the maybe conferences that you're mentioning. There, at least in, in game field and in kind of screen shakes, there are tools that are pretty famous, at least within the game design sphere. There is a one from uh, Jan Wilhelm Nijman, um, one of the game designer on games like Nuclear Thrones, Ridiculous Fishing, Wolf Trousers, and so on. Um, he made a conference that was called, I believe that was The Art of Screen Shake. And it was basically like taking example by coding directly during his talk about like adding screen shake, what you can do with screen shake, what it adds to game feel, and what actually game feel is. And game feel is pretty important to every aspect of game design because you can basically make any kind of game satisfying. And it's not just about making game mechanics. Game mechanics are just like the systems that are going to come together. But game feel is something that come on top of this that is more related to polishing something. And it can add so much. And you can really turn a bad game into a good feeling game, just like by working on game feeling. And this is something that I really like doing a lot like taking very, very simple ideas and making them satisfying. This is my kind of stuff. You know, I I think you're right. Because I do remember um, when you, you mentioned Nuclear Throne and such, that does sound familiar um, in terms of, you know, the one I saw. Because I, I believe I've seen one from them. Uh, however, I liked what you said there, that it's it's game feel is more like polishing. And that's I think that's, you know, a really apt way to put it. Because, you know, like you said, it's not really a mechanic, but it's something that's going to, like, bind the mechanics you have together or or what have you. I'm probably using the wrong way to, to explain that or put that. But, mm -hmm. um, but no, I really like the way you, you put that about how it's, like, polishing as opposed to other things like adding mechanics or what have you. Yeah, and it's, it's really bound to uh, the cognitive aspect of what playing is. And it's more like creating, like, cognitive feedbacks and what we call in game design feedback loops in a way that an action so should have like a reaction that makes you feel good in a way and and making something visually standing out or responding to your action in a proportional way of this action is a very very basic and, and visceral kind of getting a reward for something oh. So uh, and Gamefield is all about this, and uh, and when I mention like Chen Bidem and the guys who were involved into Lambert, their studio, uh, we really come down from that school of game design, and we really like to uh, to feel to to we always kind of feel ourselves as like descendants of the Lambert school because they kind of uh, they put um, game field to a specific level into like indie games and uh, and it's mostly action game and uh, we really like this kind of stuff and yeah mo mostly we are like I would say that we are like carrying over the spirit of what Willembert was and uh, so that's basically where we are well thank you for putting it that way because you know I, I understand what you're saying there and it's 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 always nice to um and i imagine they would feel the same way but it's always nice to have like a spiritual i don't want to say successor but um 
to maybe to, I think the better way to put it is maybe it's always nice to be you know recognized as like the the forefather of a of um of like a of a mindset or of a, a paradigm or or what have you. I think I imagine you know what I'm trying to say. I'm just really sucking at the words. I'm sorry. <laughs> So, Thomas, um, you know, uh, just to, to move on from that. So thank you for, you know, you know, walking us through that. And then, you know, the, the brief um, intro to, to game feel, I guess. We might get back to that later. Uh, however, though, I want to kind of take it a little back further and, you know, hopefully have you explain to me, you know, how how you got into developing and making games. Like, you know, what it, what it was that got you into it or, or how, why you started or, or what have you. I guess it's a combination of many things that happened uh, in my uh, in my life. Um, it kind of began with with everything that was modding in the modding scene. Um, I, I am thirty seven years old, and uh, when I got into computers, it was mostly like uh, in the very very early uh, two thousand. And uh, at that time, there were games like Half-Life, Counter-Strike, StarCraft One, um, maybe also Unreal Tournament, and uh, and this game had something specific, which is that they all came with modding tools. They each shipped with like editors, fully-fledged editors that you can like doing incredible mods and it really was an era during which i didn't have internet and i kind of discovered all this world with like um, magazines where you bought magazines there was like cds with them and they were packed with mods and and there was like very very incredible mods and like the ones for unreal tournament or like solo adventures for uh, Half-Life, like well, some of them which are very famous, like the series of the Zay Hunger games. And um, and I started looking at those tools because I was very curious about how those mods were made. And uh, at first, um, making games was something very mystical to me. I always believed when I was a kid that it was something very, very complex and uh, unreachable for my whole life that I, I would never like kind of attain this kind this kind of stuff. And when I start looking into mods, when I start looking into the editors of the games and uh and getting into it and more specifically like games like Unreal Tournament uh shipped with a DVD of videos of tutorial of how to use the Unreal Engine and how to use like Maya, which was a software, a 3D software to make 3D modeling. And, and I started getting into this and I started to like being completely absorbed by making mods, by trying to use game editor, started to look into how games were made. And it started to feel accessible to me. And this is what got me into going into uh, computer science studies. And at some point during my computer science studies, I like drifted away and uh, and I started to like doing something completely different from from game programming or for game design. And I worked for several years uh, 
in computer research and more specifically in cognitive science, and which is something that still is useful to me because cognitive science is at the center of everything that is game design. And uh, and at some point I rage quit this this life because for for many reasons I rage quit this this kind of stuff, and and I've told myself what do I want to do, and most obviously it was making game, and I came back to making game, and that's pretty much how I started making stuff. You know, thank you for sharing. That's always, you know, I, I've I've heard it a lot. Not to say that I'm diminishing or meaning to diminish or discredit what you said, but I've I've heard a lot how people kind of started in in modding, um, and then you know went to school for it and you know what have you. So it's really interesting to hear that, you know, that's that's how you got started. You know, uh, started with modding and playing around with that and like self teaching yourself. Um, I didn't know that Unreal came with that whole DVD setup thing to to walk you through it. So that's really interesting to me because um, I just think that's such a wild thing that they provided you or they provided not you. They provide everyone with like the the foundation of what they had to do if they wanted to start pushing buttons to make things happen. Right. Which is, I think, really cool and a really great way to harbor or foster uh, creativity and interest and, in, you know, to, to get more people on board with that. So I think that's really cool that that obviously that worked for you. Um, and, you know, then obviously going into computer science and, and such, and, you know, finding your way back to what you want to do and making games. Um, so based on, based on, you know, how you came into all of this, is there advice you might be able to give those looking to get into the industry based on your actual experiences? The one, the one and only advice I would have is to simply try to uh, participate in game jams because it's really something, it covers it all. I mean, um, it allows you to start making games in a specific framework because when we sometimes tell ourselves, like, I'm going to try to uh, learn by myself something and we usually, like, procrastinate a lot or for many other reasons, we don't find the time to do this. And registering to a game jam is a good opportunity to uh, kind of... Uh, not being forced because it's it's not in the, the right world, but it's kind of an opportunity to reserve this kind of time and to get engaged into something. And it's also very cool in a way that it's not a competition. It's usually just for the creativity of it or just for the learning of it, because many people who got into get into game jam is just basically to try to learn something. And I, I see uh, often I I often see people uh, who don't have any background in games or actually don't have any skill about any aspect of video game and just get there out of sheer curiosity and just like hey I'd like to make myself useful can I do something or maybe learn something and it's typically a good occasion for that and it's also a very very good occasion to meet people because when you start making projects and sometimes you tell yourself i'm going to go online on a on a discord server or any kind of community and like post uh, a message like hey i'm doing 
I'm trying to do a game. Uh, does anybody want to gang together and like make a game with me? It usually don't quite work that way because complete strangers trying to synchronize it like works for a few time for a few and uh and sometimes it, it, it just falls flat because because life because difference in affinities difference in scope of pro of projects and or like many many of those other factors and usually when you meet someone for real you start to to bind with someone and at some point maybe something will emerge uh, out of this May maybe not now maybe in six months maybe six years you don't know but it, it's usually like the best way to start getting to make something and and actually i kind of started also through game jams but it was very it was much more specific because um in my part of france it's it's kind of a no man land uh when it comes to a uh, game industry like when i started to make game jams um it was actually because i wanted to meet people and trying to make something and because there were nobody there were no community in my part of france and if i wanted to work in video game i had to like move into either paris the capital or maybe another big city because it's it's very centralized and and i told myself uh, i told myself that i would like to try to do something locally like trying to in, in, in kind of a cookie way like i i would like to put together an industry a local industry out of nothing and this was this was in 2012 so 10 years ago and i started organizing game jams and suddenly there were people who were like me and willing to uh to do something and this is how i met my 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 my, my associate Florian. and this is how we started making game we 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 haven't been making projects together during during game jams but we were meeting together one game jam after another and at some point we became friends and we told ourselves, well, you are not doing something presently. I am currently finishing my study, so I'm going to be free in like a couple of weeks. Would you like us to try making something? And I was like, yeah, yeah, let's do this. And this is how we start making our first game, Eurovoider. And and things spiraled and we ended up with a company and now we've been like running together for eight years and still going strong yeah and it it was just something that that, that was very very smooth and and making game jams is a very good opportunity to like encourage this kind of things to emerge and not trying to force something let, let letting things emerge by themselves it may take time it may take years but it's usually the best best way to keep to keep making something and uh and making game jam is also a very good opportunity to uh, have something like on your resume like even jam projects are very very useful to uh, like evaluate your resume and it opens many many doors 
And and it's usually something you can even do even if you are doing like a game design school or something or maybe even even if you don't making a school. It's usually preferable that you have like made game jams all of the way because it really make a very big difference into how things are going to uh, get opened to you. And, you know, thank you for sharing that because I've I've heard I've heard that before as well, and I think it's just great to hear that you know more supportive game jams because I I I fundamentally I believe in what you're saying. You know, I like the idea of game jams is what I should have said um, because you know it's 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 people that may you know that have varying levels of experience um, and all and and whatnot, but at the same time, it's also going to be people that are probably more willing to just experiment a little more and i think that's kind of like the same reason i really enjoy indie games and indie titles uh is because you know the those those studios are uh typically not like as beholden to like triple a or double a or what have you funding that they're more willing to take chances and see what happens and i i like the idea of game jams because the same thing it's kind of like the same spirit in my opinion where you know it's um, you know, many of the game jams will will give like a set of specs for you know you have to use you know a minimal color palette, sixteen bit, whatever you, what have you, what have you. But you know, you get to see everyone's creativity and you get to see what they're doing and and experimenting with. And as you also said, you know, it's um, it's a very good way to have um, projects on your on your resume or on your portfolio or what have you, because um, you know, as 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 I've also heard numerous times that just getting stuff done is very important to show that you can do it and you know um if if you know combining those two things works and i you know i i think it probably works for a lot of people i think that's just fantastic advice so thank you so thomas as well with that you know i kind of want to i want to take it back you did touch on you know not really getting a a, a computer until the the early 2000s, I believe you said, um, was that your first introduction to gaming or were you were you playing games and such prior to that as well? I I guess I've played for for all my life. And uh, my my most early, my, my earliest um, memories of 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 playing was like in maybe the early the very early 90s or maybe late 80s and it was on the nes and uh my first gaming console was the nes with the game uh tmnt so the N the infamous one if you if you know about it the one with <laughs> the, the, the terrible water level and uh and it was my first contact with video game and it was something absolutely well marvelous terrifying no 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 it was it was very very great and even if it was like very badly designed and uh, and difficult it was like something wow it was it was awesome and um but this is this was like maybe the first gaming console i owned but i guess my my very first contact was maybe not this one it was maybe a a, a few years back and it was with um, 
the computer of, of, uh, of a family member, and it was uh, likely uh, an Amstrad computer, and uh, and I and I've got it by games like Ikai Warriors or very early Amstrad games, and and what was really amazed, uh, what what really amazed me, is that you kind of have to uh, like write code to to play. Because you had to, it was like like those games, like you have to put a disket into the computer and uh, and some and, and and write a command like run game or run run stuff and uh, and it started the game and sometimes you add like a, a bit more complex command to to enter to in order to play the game and you could also edit script like it was it was the basic script in the basic language and. Uh, and this was kind of my first contact, and uh, it was also pretty amazing because uh, I was al always uh, like very amazed by by everything that was computer. But uh, but yeah, my 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 real first uh, gaming console and something that really got me into gaming was like having an NAS, and this was door to uh, to many many possibilities. And you know, as someone else who started on on the NES, you know, I I, or let me phrase that, someone you know, because I'm a little younger than you, um, but someone that had their start for what kind of propelled them being the NES, I can I definitely understand, you know, how that how that would have worked. And um, as a TMNT fan, I'm understand everything you're saying about the water level, and I I'm sure many other people do. Um, that was actually one of the the first games I broke my piggy bank to go and purchase with like birthday money or something. I don't remember. It's been many years. Um, and I can, I can say with much confidence that I, how do I say this? I, um, I was a very disappointed child because of how oh, difficult no. <laughs> the game was. Um, I, I, I think I would have really preferred the arcade game. So TMNT too. Okay. Yeah. However, Thomas, um, I am curious. Uh, you know, what would have your what was your favorite game as a child from that era? Um, I one game that really marked me very profoundly uh, has been Super Metroid. So uh, it, it was a few years later, and when there was a Super NES. And uh, and Super Metroid was like maybe the first game that was not an arcade game. It was it was well like like one of the first game I've played that was like a free fledged adventure with save slots and like you started playing for one or a couple hours and and you came back a few days later to continue your adventure to continue exploring and. This was something that really marked me, and it's it still is a game that I I I'm really fond of, and uh, I I play it like once per year. I I do I do a run. I still remember everything of it, and uh, and I do believe that it's a game that is very good to explain what uh, level design is. And and what makes a good level design and a memorable level design? It's still a very good game in terms of game design. 
uh, of uh, of level design it it aged quite a lot in terms of controls and so on so uh, it's not maybe like the smoothest um, metroidvania to start to begin with and but uh very very moody also it was very a very different tone from other games which were very cheerful and so on super metroid was dark and you were alone and and this mood was like very oppressing and it was very new and yeah it, it's it, it's a game that like had a, a, a very huge impact of, of which kind of gamer i am today and you know i definitely understand what you're saying there as well and like you know just rolling back on the topic of game feel um the moment you started you mentioned metroid it for me, Metroid has always been, or Super Metroid at least, was always a game that really nailed the whole game feel, like the whole package as a whole in terms of like the um, the audio um, or the music, the, the the normal sound. So yeah, the audio, sorry, um, like the backgrounds, the environments being unique and well done, um, and you know the the feeling of isolation and everything. Um, but like that game to me is a is a kind of like a masterclass in 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 game feel because it did everything so right and it was so well polished um so yeah so i just wanted to, to make note of that and also um you know talking about or you mentioning how like you you played it when you were younger and you'd go back a few days later and and, and such um as someone that also beat it you know when i the first time i beat it it took me like you know several days and whatnot uh only to now learn in the last few years that the world record run on this game is like 12 minutes or that's that's wildly wrong i'm i'm picking a random number but um but like it's such a, a short run now um i like watching people do it or playing it now when i know how to do everything um to me it feels so wild to know that when i was younger that it took me so long to play it like i'm wondering if you have if like you have a same um if like you look at that the same way, or if I'm alone on that, um, yeah, somehow, and uh, yeah, indeed, I uh, speedruns are also very, very impressive, and I and I do believe that the yeah the 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 Super Metroid speedrun are always quite something, and it's very fun because it, it kind of became like a, a staple in in the speedrunning community, and uh, and yeah, I, I always like kind of um have this kind of time related thing with game too and uh there are some games that i've completely binged and uh i remember that the first time i i've played like uh zelda 64 the okay okay now of time i've i guess i've binged it in something like two settings and uh and when I've looked at the the counter at the end, like how many hours I've spent on it, it was kind of shocking because I've like played in maybe two days for twenty hours or something, and and this is something that has kind of terrified my parents because uh, I've made such a scene of like having them to try to uh, get this game. And once I've got this game, I've cleared it in two days, and they were like absolutely shocked. Like, why? 
why did you binge it in two days? You're like, <laughs> you're, you're like, like, you made such a fuss about like, you would be love to play this game and now you finished it and you're likely not going to touch it anymore. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I can, as I've gotten older, I can definitely understand that mindset, but at the same time, you know, like you, that just says how much you enjoyed it. Right. Like, I think that's, I don't think that's so much a, a statement of, oh, you've binged it now, you're not going to enjoy it yeah. anymore. It's a statement mm -hmm. of just how much you enjoyed it and how much, like how enthralled you were by it, right? Yes, absolutely. And I I still today don't care that I've like binged it in two days. It's just like I really, really enjoyed, enjoyed it. And uh, I'm, I'm really super, super thankful for my parents to uh, having got this game to me. And uh, really, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Thomas and I, I imagine you you kind of flirted with the next question. So I'm going to be a little more explicit with, and I apologize if you feel it should have been more obvious. But what is it that makes gaming enjoyable to you? It's really complex, I believe, because I believe that not every game uh, touch me and touch people on the same way, and. Some game I'm going to like them a lot because they have like an excellent game feel. Some game I'm going to connect with them because they have a way to tell something. They have a, a narrative design that fully echoes with me. Or maybe some games I'm going to get into them because they they tell something that is very unique and that is like prof profoundly touching me. It really depends. So, uh, and some game I'm going to like them a lot because they just like uh, hit me hard on on every aspect of addictive addictiveness, addictiveness. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, really depends. So, uh, there is no game that I would say are universally attractive. It's more like it. It really depends on what kind of experience you're trying to tell and you try to make people feel. And this is basically what makes a good game. It's what you are trying to achieve, how you are going to achieve it and trying to achieve it like in the best way possible for every dot to connect and every satisfaction points to trigger into people. And, you know, with all of that in mind, then, you know, you, you mentioned Metroid, you mentioned Ocarina of Time. So I imagine those two are up there, but are there, you know, is there a game in particular that maybe it is one of them, or maybe it's not that you feel really nails those points for you? Mm, there is a lot of games, like maybe, um, what I can say, um, there is games that are going to uh, hit me very well on the very addictive side of things, like the Diablo series is a series of games that I've played really a lot because I just like to to uh, like min-max stuff, like optimizing things. So it's something very satisfying for the brain to uh, to to uh, like optimize stuff. So this is a game that I really like for this aspect. There are games that I like more for 
uh, game feel. And yeah, for instance, games like Nuclear Throne. Throne is a game that I often like to uh, to do a run at some point, just because I I really like the game feel and uh, I think it nailed it very well. Other games also like Dead Cells nail nail, nail game feel very well. And there are also games that that are hitting me in unexpected ways, and like uh, Outer Wilds is a game that is absolutely not about game feel, that is absolutely not about optimization. And, and it's a game I've literally cried by the end. And uh, it's a game that's really touched me very profoundly because it had such a sense of exploration and, and, and his story told something that was very profoundly connected in some way to my spirituality, if I should say like this. And, uh, and it was very powerful. And so it really depends. So uh, like we, I believe that every gamer has like multiple sensitivity and that each game should not aspire to touch all of them, but trying to touch one of them in a very hard way. So thank you. And that makes, I understand what you're saying. That makes perfect sense because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's some, it's, it's been mentioned before, you know, games having pillars, you know, what one of the foundational pillars for what your game is going to be based on and trying to do, trying to have at least, you know, one of those things as a pillar, one of those things to be um, a focus point and doing it well, I think is really important because, you know, uh, you can have games that are kind of jack of all trades, so to say, where it does everything, but it's, you know, rarely is it going to be able to do all of those things really well. And that's not to say the people working on them aren't talented. That's not to say anything disparaging or negative about, you know, the teams or what have you. It's just really hard as anyone knows, anyone that does a lot of things or wears a lot of hats knows that it's really hard to wear all of those hats very well. And you often find yourself just sort of, you know, you have one or two hats that fit good. Um, and then you have a lot of other hats that you can just put on when you need to, but they're not, they're not nicely fit. They're not, you know, they're not perfect. So I understand what you're saying. And I think that is important to keep in mind that, you know, you should focus on, uh, you should focus on having a really strong presence or a strong representation in at least one of those fields, right? Yeah, and um, I, I believe there is also some kind of, of bias in regard to this, because if you ask, like, any player and maybe tell them uh, what would you do if you had, like, an, an infinite amount of budget and, like, what is your dream game? What What would you make? And I believe that most people have that bias and would say I would make a game that does everything. That's like the ultimate game. What is the ultimate game? And I believe that this kind of aspect of ultimate game, like a game that does everything, the perfect fantasy that allows you to make anything, is is really running after a rainbow. And because if something allows you to do anything, it most likely isn't going to make anything really even powerful. And 
I believe what what is magic about making games or what making any kind of entertainment or like movies or even music or even kind of form of art. And uh, I believe that what's powerful is that you can take one idea and making it flourish in a way that is going to be more powerful that if you made something that does everything. And even things like as simple as Mario games, like the one pillar that is just jumping. And and now if you look like at what we have, like Mario games, like even Mario Odyssey, which is a game that is basically just about jumping and running around. And it's just a wonderful game with wonderful game design and level design. It, it's just like, super awesome and it's not a game that allows you to do everything but yeah yeah it's weird it's, it's just a, i believe it's a bias and uh trying to make something and making really 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 stand out and trying to tell something out of it is something that has much much more power that like living a fantasy of unlimited possibilities which i don't even know where the fun would be you know, yeah, exactly. And, you know, just to, to make one comment before moving on, uh, as a developer, um, you know, personally as a developer, sorry, not to phrase the question as for you as a developer. Um, however, I know you're going to, this will resonate with you. But, you know, what you said about uh, it with unlimited budget and such, just doing a game that has everything. Uh, to me, that sounds like terrifying scope creep. Um, so I think... I think that says a lot. I imagine that's I'm not alone in that that mindset in that unlimited budget just equals terrifying scope creep. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's absolutely this kind of aspect. And uh I believe it's the same it's a kind of the same stuff with the unlimited quest for like photo photorealistic stuff. And uh it's the same time of 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 seeing like like it's it's really a, a player's dream to see something like running with reality graphics. But uh, I do believe that um, graphics in a very realistic way is not for making game because making game involves a lot of, of stuff that you don't even see or, re or, or notice as a player like even a level design of like placing object of specific colors in your in your in your site just so that you are naturally attracted to it to create a natural path even even if your game is an open world this is something very very clever and something that usually use a lot the art direction and how you create contrast with stuff and so on and running after the perfectly replicated reality is something that is likely not going to work because it breaks level design. It, it breaks the opportunity to make level design and game design. And you are likely just going to reproduce reality and reality is boring. Well, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, yes, I understand what you're saying. And, you know, if you're, yeah, if it's if all you're doing is I shouldn't say it this way, um, but if if it's 
you know, highly realistic, you know, it's, it's not only, it's going to be harder for, for the developers, harder for systems and all that, but at the same time, you know, sometimes you want to escape reality, right? And doing hyper-realistic things where, where yes, they're going to look nice and so, and what have you, but at some point as well, you know, sometimes you want to escape reality and maybe that hyper-realistic stuff is just going to be a little overwhelming if you're not in the mood for it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, but, um, yeah, right. But I, I also do believe that this is also my kind of how I see things. And it's it's not like it's mine and it's kind of maybe kind of limited because I believe that the other aspect of the coin might exist. And I'm always like wondering about this when you see games like um, truck simulator or farming simulator, because they are actually a lot of farmer who are actually playing farming simulator. And like, it's kind of like you are working after work and, but they are enjoying this in a, in a way that it's a game. And this is something that kind of, fascinate me and maybe an aspect that I am missing to this. And, you know, thank you for, for elaborating. Clearly, I, I, I think I missed what you were saying, but thank you for correcting and elaborating on that. Um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not equipped to, to, to really think on that, but that is an interesting point. And yeah, I think, you know, if I, I just think that's, that's an interesting point and worth, I imagine it's worth investigating to someone far more equipped than I, you know? So, Thomas, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I want to let you get, you know, on with your evening, on with relaxing and what have you. However, I do have a few more questions unrelated to games, if you are okay with that. Yeah, sure, go ahead. Awesome. So, I'm going to start this with this one, and I apologize. I know I told you before we started recording that I wasn't going to throw any hardballs at you or or what have you. Um, but I'm sorry, I can't resist doing this. Uh, on Twitter currently, with your name, you have a pizza and a pineapple. I, I really want to hear your opinion on pineapple pizza. I do believe that every pizza are beautiful. And that's basically my take. <laughs> oh. You know, thank you, Thomas, for that. I, I know I apologize. I said I wasn't going to throw a hardball at you. But, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but yeah, no, that wasn't meant to be throwing shade or anything. You know, I I live in Canada. That's where the Hawaiian pizza was actually made. I have no oh. idea how or why it came from Canada, but it did. Um, and I have no problem with it. So, you know, everyone else that does have a problem with it, I think, like you said, all pizzas are beautiful and you know maybe we should maybe we should bask in the beauty of all the different pizzas that exist right yeah right and uh i also i mean it's also important to be mindful of each and everyone uh liking about this because it's not about like trying to antagonize any kind of liking about pizza but uh like most of things, I believe it's just like, yeah, trying to being respectful to people who might like something, might not like something, just trying to understand why and trying to uh, gang together in, in a respectful way. 
Thank you, Thomas. That is a beautiful philosophy that I did not think we were going to learn about while discussing <laughs> pizza. Yeah. <laughs> now, <laughs> moving away from this hardball, outside of outside of making games or outside of playing games or what have you, um, what other kind of hobbies do you have? Like, what other kind of things do you enjoy in your life? Actually, I do like making pizza, but, <laughs> but uh, no, uh, yeah, pizza, it's, 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 it's a way to like cope with the frustration of mine that I am not someone who has like any creative skill in a way like I, I can draw, I can't like play music, uh, I can sing, I can dance. And, um, and at some point I've told myself, uh, I would like to try making something and make it very well. What can I do and what can I try to perfect? And that was making pizza. And, uh, and actually, I've been kind of proven wrong lately because when I tell this story um, to other game developers, they told me that, hey, you've been making games. And you, you, you've been trying to make games like to you, to your, to your maximum. And isn't that the same thing? And aren't you already someone who do, who do creative stuff, but you just don't realize because like making game design is not something that is tangible. And, uh, yeah, I believe they were kind of right, but I still enjoy a lot making pizza. And. You know, I, I'm going to follow up with this then because I think it's a valid thing, especially with the, the previous question. Uh, what is or what has been your uh, most surprising pizza that you've made that you maybe didn't expect was going to come out good? But like, you know, what one was it that you were like, yeah, let's see what happens. And we're blown away by it, if you don't mind sharing. Actually, I like pizzas to be very very simple like just plain tomato sauce and just like some mozzarella and maybe basil and uh this is like my my preferred way to enjoy pizza but on the other way uh at least here in france we have like the way we do pizza in france is you put like everything you have on the fridge in the fridge on your pizza and it makes like very very sick pizza with like all kind of stuff on it, and uh, and I do believe that at some point with with friends we ended up making a very enjoyable pizza out of a frozen one. We took a frozen pizza and uh, we like throw at it like any kind of stuff that was like in the fridge, like like a, a, a wool half of a chicken, uh, like barbecue sauce, fried onions, and other kind of stuff that was there. And it turned out to be kind of good, pretty good. And it was kind of surprising for <laughs> where it came from. But uh, yeah, serendipity is the best ally to uh, pizza making and also game making. You know, yes, I can, I can definitely appreciate you know, serendipity and things. And I, I think that puts a very new twist on the term leftover pizza, if in my mind, at least. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I will, I will throw this out here out there for you. 
um, you know, only because going back to one of the first things said, um, you might find it interesting. There was a, well, there is, it does exist still, I, I assume, uh, but there is a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle pizza book that oh. has went through for a good handful of, you know, a good handful of different and weird recipes. They were um, very weird, yeah. Yeah, for, for some of them. And, you know, if you're if you're ever feeling adventurous, you can, you know, you can seek it out if you would like. Um, I've tried some of them. They are interesting. It's a very weird thing, I will say, though, to actively be cutting up pickles to think, well, I'm going to bake these pickles on a pizza. Um, but, yeah, just I'll share that with you because, you know, you mentioned turtles earlier. You like making pizza. You might feel adventurous one day and really want to go crazy. That's all. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for the recommendation. And I, I'm now, like, kind of being shocked that I haven't been looking into this kind of book yet, given my, like, past adventures with TNMT and so on. Yeah, definitely. You know, like I said, it's more than just a pizza book, by the way. It has a bunch of different stuff, but a good chunk of it, the one that I saw at least uh, and have is, is for, for pizza. Um, now, Thomas, though, with that in mind, I, as I said, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I do want to let you get on with enjoying your evening. However, if there was anything else you did want to discuss, you know, maybe a cool game or you want to talk more about the project you're working on or something you just feel more people should be aware of, by all means, the floor is yours. As well, please feel free to let everyone know where they can find more information about you, which I'll also be including in the episode description for you. Yeah, thank you. So, yeah, the most convenient way to find me is mostly on Twitter. So my Twitter handle is Mr. Elmut. And uh, yeah, if I can add anything to it, I believe that it's mostly about like what we told about the game jams because uh, I, I, I don't know who is your audience, but I do believe that it's mostly going to be people who are interested in game development or maybe trying to get into it. And uh, yeah, trying at some point to uh, participate into game jam. It's really very, very an enriching experience and usually a very, very chill one because it's not a competition. And by nature, it's something just to... Uh, to chill and uh, to try to even just uh, trying to connect, and uh, I believe it's some it's a very important thing and always enjoyable. So yeah, if you have the opportunity, just go on with game jams. Always cool. Awesome, and you know, with that in mind, Thomas, because I meant to ask this earlier, earlier, and I apologize, but are there any particular game jams that you personally um, have participated in or that you enjoy or that you think are um, good for people to, to to pay attention to and I know there's a whole bunch of them so I apologize if that is way too much of a uh, wide open question um, but yeah is there any like game jams that you know you personally think people should take a look at or ones that you enjoyed previously or or what have you the the ones I enjoy the most is the ones that you see people in real, um, because this is where the magic happens. Just because the people interacting together, it it's like a wonderful thing. And um, I would usually try to recommend the Global Game Jam, which is the biggest and largest game jam, and you have like 
that site organized like everywhere in the world and usually cool and um there are all other kind of game jam which i would recommend but these ones are maybe less accessible because maybe not organized very widely uh here in france we have a game jam which is called the barbecue game jam and it basically started with the in the context that many people were very impressed by Game Jam. Usually when you talk about Game Jam to someone, they will say, wow, this looks very cool, but it's not for me. Like, I'm not skilled enough, and uh, it seems too daunting. Like, you have to meet people, I don't know anyone, and so on. And um, so the Barbecue Game Jam kind of tried to uh, take this from the other side, like saying, Let's make a game jam during which we don't try to make a game, make a game, but like mostly try to enjoy a barbecue and together, and maybe make a game at some point, but just maybe. And uh, I find this very cool because it removes the daunting aspect of making games, and it's just about like trying to uh, socialize first, and maybe something will come out of it. And, you know, thank you very much for those recommendations. And I really like the idea of what you said for, like, the barbecue game jam, because that, you know, like you said, it's 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 the 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 pressure, the expectation, I guess, to have something to have a game come out of that isn't so high as much as um, just getting to meet people and, and, and experience and, you know, craft friendship or 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 what have you. Right. I think that's just absolutely wonderful. And, you know, thank you for the other recommendations to, to, to recommend. And, you know, yeah, just thank you for that. You're welcome. Now, however, Thomas, if there wasn't anything else um, that you wanted to add or, or what have you, I will let you get on with your evening, okay? Yeah, all right. Awesome. So, you know, thanks again, Thomas, for making the time to have this conversation with me. Yeah, thank you very much too, for having me. Yeah, no, definitely. Always a pleasure. I always appreciate, I always appreciate, you know, people letting me steal their time. And as well, thank you for joining us on the Red Tunic podcast, as well as a special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for the use of music from the title track from Road Steep. And if you like this podcast and want to support and help it grow, please subscribe or follow me on Twitter at Red Tunic Podcast to receive the latest episodes and news, and be sure to share it with those you think might also enjoy it. Thanks, and until next time.